All right, good morning and welcome to the morning briefing. It's Thursday, April 14th, and this is episode 174. I'm Phil Brandt, and with me, as always, is your friend and mine, Bert Garland, shareholder with Ogletree Deacons. It's his goal and mine to keep you informed so you can more effectively lead your organization. And I'd just like to say before we go any further, and before I forget, I'm wishing everyone a happy Easter. Uh, happy Passover if you're celebrating Passover, and if not celebrating either of those and you're off for the holidays, just enjoy the time off if you can. Uh, it's probably well-deserved and we can all use it. Today, we are going to build upon the discussion from last week. Um, we will talk about election petitions that are on the rise. There has been some alarming comments by our uh, National Labor Relations General uh, Council um, leader, um, Jennifer Abrujo, and I would like to hear your opinions of that statement, Bert, and the impact they may have on us. And there is also a CDC update on travel and masking, and we'll cover that real quickly as well for you. Um, before we get going, let's discuss last week's poll question, because we have to announce it. Uh, we have two winners, and if you remember, we were going to give away two books. If you answered the right question, you would go into a drawing. Uh, and we have those winners. I want to announce that. Um, so first, the poll question uh, that was the winning answer that the Cardinals would win on opening day by two or more runs. Of course, the good guys won by nine runs. It was nine to zero on opening day, a fabulous way to start the season. And our winner for that poll question was, drum roll, Kathy Boyer. Kathy um, is from the Missouri Botanical Gardens. Uh, Kathy has won the signed book, Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts uh, of Customers, written by our 2021 Virtual Leadership Conference keynote, Deanne Turner. So congratulations, Kathy. We will get that book over to you. And our second poll question for that day centered around some guy named Albert uh, not quite sure who he is, a new guy on our team, first time on, on the team this year. Um, and the question was, would he or not hit a home run on opening day? He did not hit a home run on opening day. And our winner for that was Seth Hebert. Seth is from CK Supply. Seth uh, wins the sign book, It's Our Ship, a no-nonsense guide to leadership. Uh, written by Captain Michael Abershoff, um, our 2019 Leadership Conference keynote speaker. So congratulations, Kathy and Seth, and thank you for uh, joining the program and participating in the poll. Today's poll question uh, is, here we go. With the emotions and hardships surrounding inflation, the surge in food and gas prices, and the war in the Ukraine, that's a whole lot of stuff, in what ways are you helping employees cope with these additional challenges beyond the pandemic? So we're going from one extreme of the pandemic into the other extreme of uh, Ukraine war and uh, inflation, like we haven't seen it since 1981. And here are the answers. We have conducting additional training and or programs to support emotional well-being. Uh, have, the second answer is we have initiated programs to offer employees relief specific to the rise in food and gas prices. Uh, the third answer is we are actively seeking to assist our Ukraine employees and their family members. And I will tell you, just yesterday I sat with a, a, a person who was from the Ukraine, one of our members out in Indianapolis, 
Uh, and to hear his story um, is really very, very interesting. And when you have friends and family there, uh, I'm sure it means something a whole lot more to you than it does to us uh, who may not have friends and family there. Uh, and the fourth and final answer, uh, I'm sorry, there's two more. The fourth answer is, are we, pro we are proactively participating in efforts to support the Ukraine. And five, we are not offering any additional programs at this time. That is an important answer if you're not. I'd just like to know um, where we all lie on this. And we will post those results next Thursday in next Thursday's email. Okay, before I get to you, Bert, I know we got a lot of things to talk about. We have a special guest in the studio, surprise guest joining us this morning. Her name is Kaylin Daggs. Kaylin, can you turn and wave to the camera? Look at that face. Look at that face. Who doesn't want Kaylin to work for them? Kaylin is graduate, a graduate of SIU. Um, she is shadowing in feature group uh, here as she's um, working to find a full-time position as a design spec, graphic design specialist. She also has a background in public health. So if you're in public health and looking for graphic design specialist, Kaylin, Kaylin, excuse me, is right for you. Here's how you can reach out to Kaylin if you would like to talk with her about employment opportunities, you can reach out to dags, D-A-G-G-S dot Kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N at yahoo.com. So that's dags, D-A-G-G-S at Kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N at yahoo.com and set up a time to talk to her. I'm sure you'll like her and who knows, maybe she may work for you next. But Nick, thank you for supporting Kaylin as she is uh, looking for um, an opportunity to start her career. <laughs> if you want to call it that, why she chose here, I'm not sure. But Well, we know why, Nick. Um, <laughs> you do a great job. We, you do a great job. All right, Bert, let's get started. Uh, let's get the CDC out of the way. Um, I hear there's an extension for mask mandates for travel. Yeah, so uh, yesterday, um, uh, the CDC extended masking for travel again for two more weeks. I'm sure most people have heard about this. Uh, I happen to be traveling, and uh, I can tell you that the airlines themselves are really sick of this. And uh, when they were making their announcements about masking, they were uh, kind of making some, some jokes about the uh, extension and uh, kind of wishing and praying that it wouldn't have been extended, but uh, sort of uh, voicing their hope that maybe this last, uh, this most recent extension, uh, two more weeks will be it. So uh, hopefully that that'll be it. Interestingly, uh, I, I, did, I got, uh, I think Fauci just hasn't been in the news and this guy loves that limelight. You can just tell, I mean, it's, it's not going to go away. He, he, he did. He does love the limelight. I agree with you on that. And he hasn't been in the news quite as much recently. There are a couple of interesting developments. You have a lot of lawmakers actually calling for his arrest. Oh, uh, really? For, for, oh, yeah. For, for what's uh, what, what he's put the country through. Uh, actual lawmakers, I'm not making this up, uh, are calling for his arrest. Uh, it, it was very interesting. He uh, made some comments uh, in the last few days here that uh that we will never be able to tell whether the lockdowns were too harsh or not uh, and whether they were worth it or not. So I thought that was an interesting uh, comment by him. He also made some comments within the last couple of weeks that uh, given the recent surge in COVID, 
uh, that lockdowns may not be out of the question. Yeah. Now, you balance all of that uh, with what took place uh, recently. Um, there was a, a gridiron uh, event in Washington, D.C. There were about 600 attendees and about 10% of the attendees have come down with COVID uh, since that event. And uh, that's really uh, sparked a, a, a quite a change by Fauci. He was quoted, uh, he, he told, he did an interview uh, this, this past Sunday, and he told the anchor of that program, quote, it's going to be a person's decision about the individual risk they're going to take, which is a sea change in what uh, he's been saying all along. He is also uh, recommending a fourth booster shot for all individuals over the age of 50. So a lot of uh, talk there sort of going both directions on you kind of don't know what to do uh, based on the guidance coming out of DC. Are we going to be in for uh, more lockdowns or is it really the uh, individual's choice on the amount of risk uh, that they're willing to take? We, we really don't know at this point, but uh, one of the things he did say was, is who, we will never be able to tell if, uh, if the lockdowns were worth it or not. But we might have more. But we might have more, exactly. Um, that's just a great way to go. All right. Well, well, it's, like for, for, it's like forecasting the weather at this point. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. But um, better him than me having to do that forecasting. I, I'd rather be on this end and, and trying to deal with it. Yes. Um, hey, uh, Bert, so let's then um, cover a question that's in the chat real quick. Um, because I really like Lori's question. I know it's a little bit off script, but um, it's an intriguing question. It's uh, from Lori. Um, and Lori's asking, is it legal in Illinois, our mid coast, right? Is it uh, legal in Illinois for an employer to put a tracking app such as Life360 on an employee's cell phone? The employee is, in, is a sales rep and spends most of their time outside of the office. Now, I've not had anyone ask me that question, but I do know there are many um, businesses and organizations that um, track their employees. I don't know if it's through the employee's cell phone, though, particularly like on delivery routes, Amazon, you know, you're able to see where trucks are and do things. So that's a great question. And I know you're going to first talk about what do you do for other sales reps and how do you treat everyone fair and consistently? Well, I would hope Nick would be ready with a certain clip that he likes to to play here. Oh, here it comes. And, here uh, it comes. It's yeah, mind so, blowing. It depends. It yes. Is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, <clears throat> of course, it depends. There's a few things in Lori's question that I need to break down. First of all, Lori specifically references Illinois, and she's very correct to do that. It is going to be a state by state issue on this on privacy. I do believe that under the, the under appropriate circumstances, even in Illinois, it is okay to put this type of software on somebody's phone. Now, let me break that down a little bit. So the first thing Lori noted was that this is Illinois. The second thing she noted is that this is actually the employee's cell phone and not the company's cell phone. So the first thing that I would strongly suggest is that the company uh, Lori, that your company, who who I, I know I know well, uh, that the, the company has a BYOD policy, bring your own device policy, and under that policy, you should be explaining to employees what that means. They are welcome to bring 
their own device to the company. But if they are going to be using their own device, the company then has the right uh, to put certain software on uh, or certain apps on their phone uh, to protect network security. Uh, if they're going to be accessing our systems, we have the right to put certain software on that device. Now, a tracking app, I would definitely say we would want to get the employee's consent on that, or at least acknowledgement that that, uh, that has been put on the employee's phone. Um, I would have to check Illinois state law specifically to see if there is anything in Illinois that would prohibit this. But by and large, in most states, as long as you have a BYOD policy and you're informing employees uh, of what it would take uh, or what the company would do if the individual brings their own device to the company, that we are going to be putting certain software on there. Uh, you know, things like to be able to wipe the phone remotely if it gets stolen, lost or stolen, and they're accessing our email system, for instance. Um, <clears throat> so I, I would want to look at the Illinois state specific law on this, and but by and large, it would be acceptable for you to do this. There are also many other means to do this, such as tracking apps or uh, tracking devices themselves uh, that you can require the employee to carry during working time. Yeah, I wonder, Bert, in something like that, the first thing that comes to my mind is, all right, um, so they have a salesperson who spends most of their time outside the office. If you have other people who spend most of their time outside the office, uh, I may or may not want to single out any one person in that scenario. So it could be an accountant who works from home or, uh, or anyone else. And for the same concern, they're outside the office. Um, you would want to approach that consistently. Um, or if it all right in a scenario where, well, we have a suspicion that the person isn't working, and this is maybe only one of the ways we can track uh, how much work is being done. Yeah, I, I, again, we want to, we do want to handle this consistently. If we have outside salespeople, I would send, say that uh, if we have multiple outside salespeople, we would want to treat them uh, consistently. We won't, don't want to get into a situation where we create another kind of uh, claim of discrimination. For instance, we, we don't want to put the, uh, require a black employee to carry the device with the tracker uh, and then the white uh, sales rep, outside sales rep, we don't require. So right. consistent, you know, we, we walked ourselves into a potential uh, discrimination claim there. So we want to make sure we're handling things consistently. But Lori, like I said, the first thing is, is I would want to check state law. Illinois does have some, some odd state laws. We talk about Illinois as being the mid coast uh, of, of, for employment law purposes and other purposes, of course. But, uh, you know, we see, we see a lot of restrictive things out in California. We see it up on the East Coast and Illinois sort of leads the way in the middle of the country on uh, progressive uh, labor and employment laws. And Illinois, for instance, has like a biometric uh, law that uh, you need uh, employee consent and, and notice. Uh, and, and they have to consent to their biometrics. Like if you have somebody, people who are doing a time clock with their, their fingerprint, right. for instance, yeah. that could violate uh, Illinois' uh, BIPA law. So um, we want to be careful, check the state law, but by and large, you're okay requiring this. But I would strongly recommend that you have a good, robust BYOD policy, bring your own device policy. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that question, Lori. I really enjoyed that one. All right. 
Bert, how, how could... about how about how about Dave Dave's question real quickly? Arrest oh. Fauci on what charge? I... I'm just gonna say, hey, Dave. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Just just Google it. I didn't read the articles. I only saw the headline that certain lawmakers are calling for his arrest. You'll have to read through the article. I'm sure if we dig hard enough, we find something, Dave, on that guy. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bert, you picked a topic. Um, you want to go with uh, Jennifer Abrujo next or the election petitions uh, continuing to be on the rise? Why don't we tackle election petitions? We, we've talked about this last week, and I think a lot of uh, listeners were really surprised at the level of unionization in the United States, that it's down to about 6.2% of the private sector. And even when taking into account uh, government employees, that the number of unionized workers in the United States is really only right around 11%. So, you know, obviously that means that in a room of any, in a room of 100 people, uh, only about 11 of those people are going to be in some form of a union uh, or break it down even further in a room of, of uh, well, 11 people, only, only one person is going to belong to a union in every group of uh, 11 people. And uh, you, you break, break it out further than in a group, room of 100 people. Uh, that uh, only six of those people in that room would belong to a union uh, in the private sector. Um, I have been telling listeners and uh, reminding them that with the election of Biden uh, and Congress turning blue, that there is going to be a huge effort to assist the unions. And they are really trying to make good on this. We've talked before about a law called the PRO Act. And when we've had Jim Plunkett from my DC office on the program, we've talked a lot about the PRO Act, which is the Protecting Right to Organize Act, which is sort of the Democrats' wish list of every uh, labor and employment initiative they can, that they've proposed over the last 40 years thrown into one law. Well, right now, it doesn't look like they're going to have the votes to put, pass the PRO Act uh, and overcome a filibuster on that. So what they're trying to do has passed a lot of these things uh, through uh, through the NLRB, sort of pass them de facto. One of the things that uh, we've seen since the Biden administration has come into play is a pretty steep rise in election petitions. Uh, and so I think that, um, uh, Phil, I think you've got the numbers on that actually, but the Yeah, so number... it's saying it's up 57%. Yep. Uh, in this fiscal year, the first half of this fiscal year, um, 57 percent increase over last yep. year. And, and so what's it? Well, and when does that fisc the government's fiscal that year? That starts in October. From? So that started in October of 2021 through. And today. so so October through through this uh, last through, month through March. Right. Through April so, 13th, yeah. Petitions are up 57%. And what's really interesting about that is that this is not translated into additional election wins. So uh, the unions are still winning greater than 50% of the elections that are conducted. But I want to uh, point something out because that statistic is a little bit misleading. Misleading. Uh, while they're winning more than 50% of the union petitions that actually go to vote, um, they withdraw quite a number of petitions before the election actually happens. Uh, if they know that they're going to lose the election, or, or it, especially in cases where they think they're going to get walloped, they will withdraw the petition itself and not have the vote. 
So between yeah, but you know, one thing about that, Bert, that I'll just mention, particularly for anyone that's been through these, and I've, I've probably been through 20, 25 of them myself, um, that whether they withdraw it, whether you win it, it is a huge disruption. I mean, it's, oh, a, yeah, it's yeah. a major disruption and a huge cost to a workplace. Um, and, and it takes years to, to recover that. So sometimes there's the, the falsehood that gets in the mindset, well, we'll probably win it, uh, yep. or they might withdraw it if they do. But it's the disruption, the embarrassment, uh, the employee relations nightmare that uh, it creates, in addition to the cost um, to, to actually you know, bring in outside resources to manage the campaign. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. I mean, it, 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 I don't see getting through a union avoidance campaign uh, unless you're literally not going to run one. Uh, the, the, the least expensive, low budget campaign where you're doing minimal work is probably going to cost a company $25,000 and it can easily cost a company several hundred thousand dollars to oh, yeah. run I, I don't think I've ever effort. spent less than $100,000, $150,000 on a campaign. Yeah, it's, it's expensive stuff. Everybody knows I was engaged in a very, very uh, tense uh, union campaign, union avoidance campaign uh, last uh, August through December for a client down uh, with a facility down in Arkansas. And uh, we did prevail on that. We overwhelmingly won uh, by over 50% uh, th that petition, but it was extremely costly to the employer. And like you said, Phil, the disruption uh, to, to the, um, to the business was quite astounding. So thanks for, uh, whoever said I sold my tooth in Arkansas. We did have a poll a couple yeah, weeks ago about what one. happened to yeah. my tooth and that was not one of the choices on there, but, uh, I do like that. Uh, start so talking any, with a little bit of a list because you're missing teeth. We're going to, you're going to make you are a hockey goon. <laughs> thanks Phil. Yeah. So that was one of the choices I was trying to live out my hockey dream between the long hair, the beard, and now the missing tooth. But, uh, just, just like I said, we're having, I'm having a little bit of dental work done here. That's nothing more exciting than that. But uh, yeah, like I was saying, the, these petitions uh, really are, are expensive to oppose. And, you know, so, so it's interesting on the statistics that petitions filed uh, is up dramatically, but keep in mind that that's not necessarily translating into union wins. Now that does segue us very nicely into our next topic, and that is the NLRB's uh, general counsel. Um, so it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. The NLRB's current general counsel, her name is Jennifer Abruzzo, A-B-R-U-Z-Z-O. And we've expected this out of the NLRB for quite some time. Remember, I had reminded people that just because of the timing of the Trump board, uh, the appointees on the Trump board rolling off the board, that the NLRB was not going to be transitioned to a uh, Democrat board for a period of time. Same with the EEOC. And the EEOC actually is not going to transition for a few more months. The NLRB has transitioned to more of a, a, a Biden board at this point. And Abruzzo used to be the general counsel for the Communication Workers of America. So it really should not come as a surprise that she is uh, absolutely positively 100% pro-union. She has said a couple of things in the last week that in my opinion should be very uh, scary for employers. The first is, is that she said that she is seeking to ban 
mandatory anti-union meetings in the workplace. Uh, and that really is declaring war on employers, uh, really? an, on employers' principal tool to thwart unions. And so one of the things that we do uh, during union avoidance campaigns is we have what are called captive audience meetings. The employees are on our dime. We're paying them. We're compensating them. And so during that time, while we're paying them and they're on our clock, uh, we can mandate, we being employers can mandate that all the employees attend uh, these captive audience meetings where we actually, we as the employer uh, get to share our side of the story on why we strongly believe that unions are not in the best long-term interest of the company. This has been held by the United States Supreme Court uh, to be a First Amendment right of companies. Uh, there's, this is, uh, there, there's long-standing legal precedent on this, and um, it, it, it's really interesting that, uh, that, that she's attacking this. This is, this is a right that really goes back 75 years, and it's actually part of the National Labor Relations Act that specifically says when Congress passed the National Labor Relations Act that, quote, any views, arguments, or opinion or the dissemination thereof shall not constitute or be evidence of an unfair labor practice. There was an, the decision uh, that I was talking about, about from the Supreme Court was a case called uh, Babcock and Wilcox, and it goes back uh, to 1948. And uh, this, like I said, if, if uh, she attempts to, and I'm sorry, I said Supreme Court NLRB decision in Babcock and Wilcox. Abruzzo said that, uh, that the NLRB incorrectly uh, decided uh, Babcock and Wilcox. She said that meetings force workers to listen to employer speech under what she said is threat of discipline, which violates their right to not listen to such speech. So it's interesting that they, she's really trying to make an effort to silence the speech itself uh, and try to prohibit uh, uh, employers from requiring employees to at least listen to the speech. It's not mandating whether employees have to vote for or against the union, but it is mandating that while they're on our dime, they have to at least listen to the employer's side of the story. Uh, if the employer cannot hold captive audience meetings, then the employees won't even get to hear uh, this employer side of the story, uh, unless they voluntarily choose to do so. So again, this is going to upend 75 years of uh, past labor and employment principle. She also came out and made another really interesting pronouncement uh, that is uh, quite astounding. Uh, and this one uh, is uh, equally uh, scary for employers. And uh, this one is that um, she's seeking to sort of resurrect what is called card check. Uh, she made a pronouncement in the last week or so that instead of going through with union elections where people get to vote in a secret ballot election, that instead, uh, if, an, if a union collects authorization cards, signed authorization cards by more than 50% of the workforce in the, in the theoretical bargaining unit, that then the union can go to the National Labor Relations Board and specifically ask the board uh, to force the employer to recognize the union and bargain with the union without ever having an election. 
So uh, now the the, the well, that sounds like America to me. Let's not even have a vote. If we yes, do have so a vote, let's persuade the vote. Let's let's have a current turnout in our favor. So if we can't win, what they're really saying is we'll just go off of the card, uh, the card check process. We have more than fifty percent. We have fifty percent plus one. Therefore, we recognize the the union and start bargaining in short. Correct. That's exactly right. And so there wouldn't even be an election under those circumstances. And the concern with that, Phil, is, is fairly obvious. Number one, there's a, a huge concern about fraudulent cards, uh, whether the, the employees themselves actually sign the cards or not. Number two, there's a concern about whether employees realize what they're, what signing. they're signing. That's right. Number, number three, there's a huge concern <laughs> Uh, in this, there, there, the, the case law is replete with these cases of, of unions who uh, bullied, intimidated, and otherwise forced employees uh, to sign authorization cards. And then the final one is that the cards may be uh, signed under fraudulent pretenses. And, and so, I, we don't have time, but I, I wish I could tell a couple of stories here where I've observed that happen firsthand in parking lots um, where, you know, an employee is surrounded by four or five uh, pro-union employees and union members. And the next thing you know, you see them bent over signing their card, handing it to them. And it was purely done under, under peer pressure alone. Yeah. yeah. So really pretty scary. I know we're up against a little bit over the hour. We got started just a couple minutes late today, but uh, I do want to make it clear that the NLRB is, is really uh, putting on its uh, shoes these days, getting ready to start running. And uh, uh, now that the board is uh, a Biden board, or at least no longer a Trump board, uh, we are really going to see an aggressive agenda out of the Biden uh, NLRB here. And that's, uh, that's just the NLRB get ready because when the EEOC switches over a little bit later this year, we're going to get it from the EEOC as well. Absolutely. All right. Let's wrap it up for today. Don't forget to check out aimleadershipconference.com and get your seat and or table registered. They're going fast. They're almost done. Um, and again, I, I can't help you once we are sold out. Um, and we will also share the results of the poll question, but leading by far is most organizations haven't made any adjustments as of yet. Um, but we will share that in our email on Tuesday to the group. Until then, enjoy the holiday and whatever you celebrate it for. And we will be back on air next Thursday, 730 Central Standard Time. Take care. Bye-bye. If you've ever been to a career fair, there are many different companies there, all clamoring for the attention of these 22, 23-year-olds just about to graduate college. And we needed something that set us apart. So we produced a VR video that showed a glimpse in the life of what it was like to work for Nortech. But they could do so in a way that really was pushing the edge of technology, which is how we wanted to be seen by those candidates. We empower our employees to reach forward and look for those new opportunities. And the VR technology, using it during the recruiting process, allowed us to do that.